I'm Dr Zara Martin, Senior Lecturer in International Relations at the University of Portsmouth. You're listening to the Gender Focus podcast from genderfocus.org. Gender Focus showcases tools for practitioners doing research into violence against women and girls, mental distress, climate, water and sanitation. Our contributors are working around the world to share and combine their insights to better inform research going forwards and enact positive change. Researchers in South Sudan are making breakthroughs with communities who are challenging violence against women and girls, in spite of a turbulent cultural and political backdrop. In this episode, we look at the unique history of South Sudan to better understand the cultural and social context that has created the challenges and opportunities of working in these communities with Paul Garang and Paul Akok. I don't actually see the right fruits of the peace that we were yearning for or what an independent nation can actually give the people. My name is Paul Garang Marco. I'm a South Sudanese. I live here in Juba and I work with local NGO called Likikiri Collectives. And also I teach political science at the University of Juba. Paul teaches political history of South Sudan. He says the long history of Sudan and South Sudan are intricately connected in spite of their independence today. It started together because before our independence, we have been in one country. We share history, culture, and some of our people also are sharing the same religion with the Sudanese people. So culture, religions, and other social things were shared. So our history started back before Asian Sudan. It started with the kingdoms and the chiefdoms in Sudan, right back from before 18th century. It's come the time of colonial era, whereby Sudan was experienced much of the time, was experienced with multiple colonial rulers in Sudan. It started with the Turco Egyptians. It's a combination of people from Turkey, and the Egyptian, they group up in Egypt, then they colonized Sudan. Then later on, come to our British, and we call it also Anglo-Egyptian rule in Sudan. This one also is the agreement between Egypt and Great Britain in order to colonize Sudan. Paul explained how a long history of foreign interventions in Sudan has divided the people in different regions and led to the complex political climate today. During the time of colonialism, during actually in this Anglo-Egyptian condominium rule, is where we started. South Sudanese started to struggle now to get their independence from the Britain. Because it started first, we have what we call Southern policy, which was introduced by British, simply because the Southern regions of Sudan were educated in these missionary schools. And in the north, there are more government schools, whereby in the north they are educated in Arabic. They use Arabic as their symbol of communication. And in the south, we are using English. Policies were introduced to deter Arabic speakers from coming to South Sudan. But Paul says the greatest schism began to occur as a result of the languages and religions introduced to the South Sudanese region through colonialism. The education system was changed. Because we are using English, then we are annexed to the East African, British East Africa, those of Kenya and Uganda. We become part of them more closely than our Sudanese origin. So that is the detachment, and that is the beginning of the problem. Because we feel that we are Christians, and some of us are, live in African tradition, and together with the people of East Africa, so we think of being togetherness. 
So this is the beginning. Then from there it grows and reach to the Juba Conference, whereby people reach into the consensus that in Juba Conference we want to be a separate country or not. But because our chiefs who are representing South Sudan were much influenced by these Arabs, then they were bribed to say, okay, we are going to, to be one country. This is our brothers. So that's where the British policy towards South Sudan ended now, because they say we are one country, one people, so we need to be one. In 1955, the innate differences between South Sudanese regions and the rest of Sudan came to a head in public demonstrations. The demonstration is against the unity of Sudan, saying that we are different from these people. These people are Arabs, they are Muslims, and we are Africans and we are Christians. How comes that we have to share one country with them? These demonstrations led to the Torrit Mutiny, a significant moment in the liberation struggle of the South Sudanese people. But violent conflict followed. War broke out, and in spite of the signing of the Addis Ababa Peace Agreement in 1972, the Premier did not enact its principles, instead imposing Islamic Sharia law in the South. Failed coups, further conflicts and separatist movements followed. A second civil war broke out between 1983 and 2005, with failed peace agreements and switching allegiances between leading factions. Meanwhile, citizens were divided by cultural identity and personal history. It keep on recurring until they signed the 2015 peace agreement in Addis Ababa. Then also because of some clauses in that peace agreement, there are some articles which is not compatible with the government. Government tried to sign the agreement with the reservation that these articles of making two armies in one country is not okay. Then later on, the international community and South Sudanese are feeling that we need peace in South Sudan. That's why they went also to negotiate in Khartoum for a revitalized peace agreement, where after now still people are getting problems in implementing it. Bola Kok is a researcher working for the Likakiri Collective in South Sudan. Likakiri collaborates on and organises arts and humanities-based projects and is based out of Juba. Ball gave his overview of South Sudan's more recent history. Following the series of uh, civil conflicts that started way back in 1955, it went on until 1972 when peace agreement was signed. We never lasted long and immediately SPLA was formed in 1983 because most of the Things that were agreed in 1972 were not honored by the Khartoum regime. The South Sudanese rose again against the government and the SPLA war was fought. That claimed about 2.5 million people. And in 2005, a CPA was signed. A CPA stands for Comprehensive Peace Agreement that gave right to self-determination for the people of South Sudan. In which case, in 2011, they voted for independence of South Sudan. On the 9th of July 2011, South Sudan became an independent state, with the new and first president, Salva Kiir, calling for the people to forgive the violence of preceding years. But two years later, civil war broke out again amongst the ruling party in South Sudan, when allegations of corruption surfaced and Kiir sacked his entire cabinet. Former Vice President Riek Machar led the opposition against what he claimed was a step towards dictatorship. Since 2013, the war was actually fought largely between the two major ethnic groups, Dinka and Nure. So the war resulted into 
mass displacement of people to neighboring countries. Some people fled to Ethiopia, others crossed to Kenya, and others to Uganda, and some sought protection. So what does this political backdrop mean for civilians? With many citizens forced to seek refuge in other nations or to seek care from the UN, the nation's move towards an independent, devolved structure has been hampered. Today, Ball says the country remains splintered, caught between the old tribal lines and its thwarted ambition of development. But perhaps there's cause for hope in the face of cooperation on forthcoming elections next year. The country likely remains underdeveloped. There are no proper road networks. There are no modern health uh, facilities. And the people are still divided sharply along the tribal lines. Like, as we speak, there are some places, like, for example, where you cannot actually go if you belong to a certain tribal group. Like, for example, me being a Dinka, I can not easily be allowed to go to places like deep in Eastern Equatoria because I will just be targeted based on my ethnic background, given the fact that the president comes from Dinka group. So the people from other tribes will be thinking that it is the Dinka that has to blame for the crisis going on in the country. Following the signing of revitalized government of national unity agreement for the resolution of conflict in South Sudan, the two parties are now committed to try to ensure that the nation gets back to normality. So we also have hope like in 2023 there will be elections so that South Sudanese will be able to decide who will lead them in the next years to come. But what sort of a legacy does decades of violence and political unrest create for the people of South Sudan? We used to call ourselves war children. We were born during the time of war. We grew up in the war and our own expectations, particularly myself, was that Immediately the peace is signed and South Sudan became an independent country. Our expectations were extremely high. We were expecting a country where there will be equality, where youth like us will be able to have access to decent jobs, establish themselves, marry and at least live in a peaceful country. But this has actually turned into a different direction. So right now in South Sudan, things are very, very hard. Like myself, I graduated in 2017, and up to this time, I haven't managed to secure a job. And this is simply because the social poverty is actually broken in the country. Like jobs are given based on ethnic background or on family kind of basis. So for that matter, following the previous experiences in the war, and also now that we became a country, I don't actually see the right fruits of the peace that we were yearning for or what an independent nation can actually give the people. A lack of opportunity, equality, and in some cases hope followed the disappointment of the failed move towards an independent democratic state. Ball's unique role as a researcher has allowed him to observe the determination of a people struggling to survive in a nation that desperately needs infrastructure to meet its ambitions. I was able to move across the country and in my own experience, people are not actually feeling the advantages of the independence that they were fighting for. Like in most remote parts of the country, you find women do not have access to antenatal care facilities. People still drink from the rivers. They don't have access to clean drinking water. There's no road connection that connects the rural farmers to urban towns. There are no also schools for children. Children just still study under the trees. 
there are also no proper teachers and a few that manage to acquire modern education in neighboring countries have actually abandoned teaching because of poor payment, especially by the government. So these are some of my experiences in our new independent country. Although, yes, there's a small hope that if our leaders truly are committed to prosperity of South Sudan, they will be able to put aside their differences and at least to try to accept each other and work together for the benefit of all the South Sudanese people. The challenges to women in rural areas here are as extensive, with a lack of benefits, health services and access to education. Furthermore, harmful practices of gender-based violence are rife, but projects are underway to challenge and reshape these setbacks from a community-led perspective. Likakiri's story circle approach, which you can find out more about in our other podcast episodes, has given voice to women and allowed individuals to engage with positive change at a grassroots level. Ball sits in on one and says that valuable insights have been gathered into the challenges that women have been facing in silence throughout South Sudan. Story Circle actually has managed to engage women. So through Story Circle, women are actually made to come forward and begin to talk about their experiences with regard to gender-based violence. So some of the women that we are able to talk to actually confess that they have either being physically abused, others are denied the right to own family properties like land, and especially if a woman's husband is killed, the family of the husband denies her the right to own properties. On the other hand, some ladies also complain that in the location of jobs, they are also being segregated simply because they are women. Others also complain that there is some kind of sexual harassment when they try to apply for jobs. So their superiors always like ask for sexual favors in exchange for jobs. We are also able to listen some personal experiences from some young women who always feel like they are being segregated by logical parents. Like if the family does not have enough resources to send the children to school, Ladies are just asked to remain at home, and then the little man is used to educate the boy. So there has been like a constant outcry from the ladies that they are not equally treated by the family. And a few that are able to go to school also express the concern that there is gender segregation within the family. For example, when they go to school, a brother and a sister, when the boy comes, he's allowed to go and play football, but the girl is asked to go to the kitchen to prepare some food, and not only that, they have to travel some distance, say, maybe 30 minutes to go and fetch water to supply for the family, like for household use. So these are some of the common challenges related to gender-based violence that women and young girls face in South Sudan. So how does a story circle actually help create positive change? Ball explained. For a victim to get healed, the first thing is actually to talk out so the story circle actually enable women to be able to come out openly. Although sometimes they still have or they still hold some bitter memories about what happened in the past. Some actually at the end of the discussion were able to come and tell us that I really feel some relief in me because the bitterness in me has a bit reduced because through sharing their experiences, they're able to feel like the big burden or the huge burden that was on them has a bit been lifted. And on the other hand, some women also say like, through sharing experiences with other ladies, they are able to know that they were not only 
suffering because many of them are actually suffering in silence. And through story circles, some that are actually suffering in silence were able to know that this is the magnitude of the suffering that we are going through. And now they are able like to know how best to actually deal with this gender-based violence kind of a thing. Hopefully these insights from Paul and Ball have helped you get a handle on the complexities of carrying out social and cultural research work in a new nation that is still emancipating itself from a legacy of colonisation and conflict. You can find out more about projects around the world on our website at genderfocus.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at genderfocus and LinkedIn for our newsletter and details of upcoming webinars. Thanks for listening.